Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says the two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Amen. Thank you, Jennifer. Great job. That was her first time doing the scripture reading. Great job. And my apologies uh, prostitute verses. Um, <laughs> but it's important. It's important to look, uh, look at what God's word has to say. As we've been mentioning, um, this teaching series is focused on the theme of renewal because the hope of the gospel is Jesus seated on the throne, Revelation 21. Behold, I make all things new. I am making all things new, Jesus says. Now, can we confess that there are days where it does not feel like things are being made new. Anybody? But we believe that God's word is true and that Jesus' promises are reliable. And so we are looking at this theme of renewal, yes, for our church, as Jason was just explaining, but also for us as individual disciples. The first week of the series, we looked at how the gospel is the hope of renewal. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. The next week, we looked at how the gospel transforms us by the renewal of our minds, that the Lord teaches us to think differently in our minds. Last week, Steve preached on how the Lord does a work of renewal in our hearts, in our inner world, as we bring our emotions and our feelings and just that inner self before the Lord. And today, well, today we're going to focus on our bodies. And I just want to say right out of the gate that if, you know, I don't know what your church background is like or what sermons you've heard on the body. This is not a new year, new you diet plan sermon, okay? So you can breathe easier. This is not, I'm not going to make you get out of your chair and do burpees uh, or push-ups right now. We're going to look at a theology of the body, a theology of what it means to be an embodied physical creation. Now, there are implications for sure. Even as we just heard in our scripture reading about what we do with our bodies, there are absolutely implications for caring for our bodies. But we want to look about how the Lord calls us to use our bodies to glorify him. And then the next four weeks, we're going to really focus on various relationships. We'll turn the corner into things like marriage and friendship and singleness and dating and even parenting. And so more on that in the weeks to come. But for today, I want to go before the Lord in prayer. And I want to just pray and and let there be just some moments of silence and some pauses. Because when we come into the presence of the Lord in worship, uh, right now in this teaching time, this is not just about our minds. 
And it's not just about our hearts. I would even say this is about our physical selves. And as you come in, you might be carrying fear or anxiety that feels like a, a, a knot in your stomach. Or you might be carrying stress and, and burdens that feels like a pressure on your shoulders. You might be, you know, spinning in your mind with busyness. And so let's just bring our bodies into the presence of the Lord right now as we pray and ask God to meet with us. So let's do this. Lord, we, we bring all of who we are right now. Lord, even help us to be present in our bodies, what we're thinking, what we're feeling. Lord, as we experience that pressure on our shoulders or that spinning of our minds or that anger of the flushed cheeks, the worry in the pit of our stomach, Lord, help us to bring all of that into your presence right now. Lord, we come with an expectation that you want to speak to us, that you want to renew us, all of who we are. Lord, help me to teach only that which is in line with the truth of your word. May we experience your renewing power in the totality of our beings. We thank you, Lord God, that our Savior Jesus came in the flesh, his body broken, his blood spilled, that we might experience new life. Help us to experience that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to think about the subject of our bodies, there are for sure two ditches that we can fall into. The first one is something in the category of uh, an overemphasis on the body, a worship of the body, an idolatry of the body. And it's easy to do because how many of you know our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made? Over the last two years of the COVID-19 pandemic, we've all learned a lot more about like T cells and immune systems than we ever knew before, except for a few of you who are like doctors and stuff. But the rest of us plebes, we, we've learned those things and just the, the, the body is fearfully and wonderfully made. Even some of you are sitting there thinking like, my body is not fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But the problem is, is because our bodies can, they're just an amazing creation from God, we can start to elevate it higher than we ought to. Think back to ancient Greece. You can see that in their culture, there was a a, a form of worship of the body that was prevalent. If you, I mean, you can see it in in their artwork, the statues, they're all naked because they they glorified, they honored, they worshiped the body too much. And we might be sitting here in our modern culture and shaking our heads and like, that's just weird how much they worship the body, how much they honor the body. And yet here we are in a society where in order to be a female pop singer, you have to be in various stages of undress. They might have idolized the male figure more. We idolize the female figure more. We have worship of the body in sports. ESPN, the magazine, annual The Body Issue, in which they convince various athletes to undress and take pictures of themselves. We have TikTok and Instagram, where 90% of the videos are made are people dancing and using their bodies for the entertainment, I guess, of others or a way to feel good about their own bodies. Even at its most pernicious, the widespread influence of pornography in our culture is just everywhere. 
the undressing of the body and the worship and the elevation of the body to a place of idolatry. And in a lack of transcendent spirituality, this is an easy path to follow. However, there is another ditch. And it's something in the, it's something in the category of the denigration of the body. And again, we could even point to certain verses in the Bible. You know, Isaiah 40, that, that all flesh is like grass and it fades like the flowers of the field. Or, or in the book of Job where it says, you know, you are dust and from dust you come and to dust you will return. That our bodies, our outer self is wasting away. We could denigrate the body. And even going back to ancient Greece, while the culture was widespread worshiping the body, there were some, uh, there's this guy named Plato, real bright kid, got a great future ahead of him. Plato actually really hated the human body. He thought it was worthless. Uh, Anthony Hokum, an amazing biblical scholar, writes this. He says, in Plato's teaching, the soul is considered a superior substance, inherently indestructible, and therefore immortal. Whereas the body is of inferior substance, mortal and doomed for total destruction. Hence, the body is thought of as a tomb for the soul, which is really better off without the body. Edward Donnelly, a Presbyterian pastor and author, writing about Plato, says this, Unfortunately, this poison of anti-materialism has seeped into Christian thinking so that many believers are unconscious Platonists, which by the name is a great band name. I think that's actually the band today is unconscious Platonists. Their view of the world, the flesh, and even the soul have been distorted by an instinctive hyper-spirituality. For Plato was quite wrong in claiming that the spiritual alone is good and that what is material is necessarily inferior. The Bible is uncompromisingly against such dualism, and we must give full weight to the statement that God saw everything he had made, and indeed it was, say it with me, very good. You know, this seeps its way into the church. I think of, there's a hymn that I find to be just absolutely beautiful in its melody and absolutely reprehensible in its theology. Uh, the hymn, I'll Fly Away. I love that hymn. I actually have a video. There's a family home video. We watched it recently where Mackenzie and Delaney, my oldest two daughters, when they were like three and four, were like strumming a ukulele and singing, I'll fly away, oh glory. It's the cutest heresy you've ever seen in your entire life. Because there's a line in that that says, like a bird from prison bars has flown, I'll fly away. It's literally espousing this platonic idea of, I just got to get free from this body that I'm trapped in. Even my beloved C.S. Lewis, Clive Staples Lewis, has this famous line where he says, well, you, you are a soul, but you have a body. It's like, no, Clive, no. We're both. The big idea for today is this. The hope of renewal that is offered in the gospel includes our bodies. And so I want to do some systematic theology. I know our scripture reading was from 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to end up there. I want to do some biblical survey. I want to do a little creation theology. Then I want to do a little redemption theology. Then I want to do a little practical theology. And if you're thinking to yourself, that sounds like a lot of theology. Yeah, you're at church. What did you expect? We'll get you out of here before the second playoff game tonight. Creation theology. Let's think about how God created us. And there are three things I want to say. The first one is this. We are both dust and spirit. 
We are both dust and spirit. Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed the man, formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and the man became a living being. Some translators call that a soul. It's the, the word in Hebrew is nefesh. It's a, an alive creature. Think about this. The Lord got down in the dust of the earth got his proverbial hand, so to speak, dirty in the dust of the earth. That ought to encourage us in humility. Amen? We are dust. We are frail. We are mortal. I even think about this. Think about how many different colors of dirt there are. From like rich, dark forest soil to red uh, clay to golden sands. And I've, I've said this point before, but a few years ago I realized like, if, the, if we as human beings are made out of the various shades of the dust of the earth, there is nothing more idiotic than racism and pride based on the color of our skin. How dumb is that? The Lord made in his infinite creativity all sorts of different colors of the dust, all sorts of different colors of our skin. For every single one of us, it ought to be a reminder of our humility before the Lord, our dependency upon him, and yet we take it and make it a point of pride and elevating ourselves over another. Friends, this ought not be. Now, we are dust, and that is our humility, but we are filled with the very breath of God, the very spirit of God himself, the one in whom is life, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. He breathed into the dust of the earth and and the the human became a, a living soul, a living being. Friends, do you have any idea how glorious that is? We are dust and we are filled with the very breath of life himself, God Almighty we also have to remember we are contingent because we are dust and because we are spirit god's spirit we're dependent upon god's spirit there's there's places in the bible where it talks about like at the end of our days when god takes back his breath we sing that song here from time to time it's it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out your praise every breath you take Every move you make. No, I'm sorry. It happened. It happened. I was thinking about this. This last week, there were a number of uh, marches around the nation for the right to life. Marches in support of the ending of the just barbaric practice of abortion, the termination of human life before it comes full term. And we pray that the Lord would do a work of revival in our nation to end this. It was interesting, what what often comes up in discussions about abortion is the idea of when does a human being become viable? Viability is a big topic in that. Some would advocate for, you know, a certain period of time that, you know, abortion be legal before a certain number of weeks of gestation. I think that it's, you know, roughly around 25, 26 weeks. There's a lot higher chance of viability of an infant. But I think about it like, you know, okay, so that infant is completely 100% dependent, contingent upon the mother's body to provide food and nourishment and sustenance. But even after a, a child is born, aren't we all still quite contingent for a long time? Like, when does a human being finally become non-contingent? Like, 23 or something like that? <laughs> Maybe a little earlier for females? 
We are dust and spirit. The humility and the glory and the contingency that is in there is worth pondering. Number two, we are created in the image of God. We're created in the image of God. Going back a few verses in Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. The image of God is a massive topic we could spend a long time talking about. Just very briefly, three thoughts What does it mean? I'm I'm grateful to a scholar named Joshua Swamidas who wrote about this in a book that I read late last year. Image of God, people kind of put into three buckets, three categories. Number one, category number one is it's something about our attributes. It's a way that we resemble God. We're relational. We have a rational mind. We we are like God in some ways. There's, There's our attributes. The second way that theologians talk about it though is it's our job. It's our role. It's not our resemblance, it's our role. That, that when ancient kings would take over a land, they would make statues and they would put them all throughout the land so that the people could know what this king is like. And they see a parallel of God saying, you're going to fill the earth with my image, with my representation. You're going to show the rest of creation what God is like. And the third bucket that a lot of people will talk about is, is our relationship with God. So there's our resemblance, there's our role, and there's our relationship. That we alone... We're uniquely created for a relationship with God that nothing else in creation shares. Everything in creation has a relationship with God, but only Christ came to save human beings in this unique way of incarnation. Either way about it, it's very interesting that we are created in the image and likeness of God, and that includes our physical bodies. It's right here in the creation passage. It is not just our immaterial part. It is all of who we are. It's all of who we are. God didn't create a spirit and then go around looking for like a Tupperware container to put it into. He actually started with the dust and then breathed his spirit into it. And so even though we oftentimes can spiritualize the idea of the image of God, let us remember that we are created to be unified beings, both body and spirit. Third thing that is absolutely essential to the creation theology of who we are as human beings is male and female. God created man in his own image. He created them male and female. See, friends, our maleness and our femaleness is not not an afterthought. It is not an incidental thing that just happened to be. It is not a byproduct of naturalistic, mindless evolution that just happened to be. No, this is from the mind of God as he created us. And friends, we live in a day where a rather remarkable shift has happened, really remarkable in the history of the world, in the history of society. The the shift in thinking about gender is really quite radical. Where even something like putting your pronouns into your Instagram bio wasn't a thing, even a year and a half, two years ago. And now it is the zeitgeist. It is the thing. I actually spoke with someone recently who was saying that if they, at their company where they work, if they don't put their pronouns in their profile, they run the risk of being fired. It's very interesting to witness just a massive cultural shift. And what's interesting is, and I want to make sure you guys hear me loud and clear on this, uh, we are not throwing any stones. We are not picking up, you know, the proverbial torches and picket signs. 
for anyone and everyone who, who's wrestling in our culture with ideas of gender and gender identity or sexual orientation and all those sorts of things, we want to speak with the love and the compassion of Christ even as we speak clearly about what the Bible teaches. It's interesting to watch our culture, even various, if I can use the word, like various factions within our broader secular culture, trying to wrestle through these things. Trying to wrestle through these things. So for example... Um, There are those within the transgender advocacy community that will say things like, a trans woman is a woman. A transgender woman is a woman. To which those within a more secular feminist sort of uh, context have stand up and say, excuse me, our whole movement has been predicated on the fact that historically men have used their physiological and biological strength to actually harm and to subjugate women. I remember hearing one quote from a a feminist activist said, you don't know what it's like to live in a body where the vast majority, the other half of the population could beat the pulp out of you. So there's a faction even within secular culture. And then there's actually a third faction of the, um, the LGB portion of LGBTQ and all of that, where particularly lesbians and gays who say, well, I'm a biological male or I'm a biological female who's attracted to other biological males or other biological females. And, and, and again, hear me clearly on this. You sit here and can watch kind of our secular culture throwing rocks at each other, taking shots at each other, canceling each other in this. Our heart as followers of Jesus must be to speak the truth of God's word with a heart that is full of love and grace like Jesus did. I believe the scripture offers us a better way to understand male and female. There's overlap and there is distinction. There's overlap and there is distinction. Okay, overlap. What do I mean by overlap? How different really are we as men and women? I mean, we have hair and eyes and noses and we, I mean, how many of the commands of the Bible are given to men and women together? Like 97% of them, maybe more. I didn't count. I didn't read the whole Bible this week. You know, the book, what's the old, what's the old book? Men are from Mars and women are from Venus. No, we're both from earth, idiot. (laughs) That author's not here. I can call him names. It's fine. Like, there's a lot of overlap between male and female. Something like strength is not an exclusively male attribute. Something like compassion or empathy is not an exclusively female attribute. And yet, contrary to our current cultural moment, we don't want to collapse that overlap into no distinction. There are things about being a man and there are things about being a woman that are just different from each other. Not light years apart, but different from each other. The problem is that there are many cultural definitions that do not line up with the Bible. And lest you think I'm only picking on our current secular moment, how about these traditionalist ones? You ready? Growing up in like certain traditional environments, uh, raise your hand. I would like to see it. Raise your hand if you ever heard, real men don't cry. Nonsense. (laughs) Nonsense. You tell that to the Lord Jesus, who in the days of his earthly flesh was known for his loud cries and supplications. How dare, how dare more traditionalist, dare I even say fundamentalist type of expressions of Christianity or even other faiths say things like real men don't cry. Men, cry. 
And if you haven't cried in a while, meet me in the parking lot after. I'm just kidding. But, I'm just kidding. Right? Or here's, here's another good one. A woman's place is in the home. Raise your hand if you ever heard that one. Now, here's the overlap and here's the distinction. Yes, only women have been given the, the, the physical body parts from God to uh, uh, gestate and give birth and to nourish and to nurse a child. So yes, women do have a unique role in the raising of children. But don't tell the Proverbs 31 woman that the woman's place is just in the kitchen because she's out there running a business and a charity. Ladies, <laughs> I'm just trying to finish like the laundry. Well, turn off Ellen and go start a charity. So... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Moving on. Uh, I belabor this point because it is such a a cultural moment right now. God put both testosterone and estrogen into the bodies of men and women. But even those psychology-altering physical substances are different. Men have more testosterone. Women have more estrogen. On the whole, men have more physical strength. Women have more empathy and compassion. Again, overlap and distinction. May we not separate and even put at odds. That is not the biblical portrait that we are to come together to image and to glorify God together. This is our creation theology. We are dust and spirit, humility and glory. We are made in the image of God to represent him and to be like him. And we are made male and female to work together with our differences. I put a book up on the website. It's called What God Has to Say About Our Bodies by Sam Albury. If you'd like to dig into more of this, I highly recommend this book and I highly recommend his teaching. Let's talk about our redemption. Redemption theology, though, we must start with, if that's the creation ideal, we have to start with the fact that we exist in a present state of decay. As I said earlier, many of you, particularly as you get older, you start to feel the ravaging effects of time, the ravaging effects of sin, the ravaging effects of brokenness, even in your physical body. How many of you are with me? How many of you know things are not as they are supposed to be? How many of you know that you peaked at 26 years old and it's all been downhill since then? And if you are here today and you are under 26, just keep your mouth shut for the love of all... We love you, but you just, you haven't gotten there yet. I remember hearing a theologian one time speculating that in the new heavens and the new earth, we will all be perpetually 26 years old forever. That's speculation. I don't know, but man, that sure sounds good. Or whatever it is, it'll be better. Second Corinthians chapter four, the apostle Paul, he talks about how our bodies, we're like, we're like clay pots. We're frail, we're fragile, there's brokenness. He talks about how we, our outer person is wasting away. Even though the Lord is working on our inner selves, this outer person, it's just broken. He talks about our earthly tent having all sorts of holes in it and we groan and we eagerly wait for things to be made new, that things are not as they are supposed to be. Friends, we were not meant to die. We were meant to exist in that place of the garden where we would eat of the tree of life and live as contingent immortals in the presence of God forever. But because of sin and because of the separation and the removal from the garden, we no longer abide. Our feet are not planted by the streams of living water. We don't eat of the fruit of the tree of life and instead our mortal flesh experiences decay and death. But the good news of the gospel is that God the second person of the Trinity, the Son, took on human flesh, 
that God once in, in, in ages past, he, he, he uh, created the man out of the dust of the earth and that God himself stepped into that human form. And he lived a life just like ours. He walked the dusty roads of, of, of the land of Israel and he knelt in the dust of the earth to offer a woman caught in forgiveness, uh, to, caught in adultery forgiveness. And he made mud out of the dust of the earth to heal the eyes of the blind man. And his physical body went to the cross where his body, his, his dust uh, creation was, was subject to a beating, was subject to a crucifixion, was subject even to death itself. And yet, friends, his body was placed into the dust of the earth like a seed where on the third day he rose triumphantly, never again to die and to offer the hope of resurrection to any and all who would believe in him. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel, that we have been saved by a redemptive body. The apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 1 that he has reconciled us by his physical body. That's what it says through his death so that we might live for him. And if you're here today and you don't know this salvation of which I speak, I'd love to talk with you after, but there is a huge, there's a humbling of oneself to come and say, Lord, I have, I have sinned. I have strayed. I feel the effects of sin and, and death is present all around me. And I trust that Lord Jesus, you died and were raised to new life for my salvation, for my forgiveness. And then friends, our hope our hope of salvation includes the future glory of our resurrected physical bodies. In 1 Corinthians 15, I won't read the whole thing to you, but in 1 Corinthians 15, you should just go home and read all of 1 Corinthians 15. Before you're allowed to eat lunch, read 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection of the body. Paul kind of loses his mind trying to explain what it's going to be like sown what is perishable, but raised imperishable, sown in dishonor, raised in glory. He compares the bodies that we will have after the resurrection from the dead. It'll be like the body that Jesus had. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus ate fish with his disciples. And yet Jesus also somehow walked through walls to appear to them. Paul's like, I don't even understand, but it's going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible. Friends, how many of you long for the day when Christ returns and our bodies are raised imperishable to be with him forever? Heaven will not be like Looney Tunes lied to me when I was a kid. Just kidding. I watched Looney Tunes last week, but it's the, the shimmery cloud see-through ethereal thing is just a farce. We will be raised like Christ Jesus and all things will be made new. In fact, even right now, Jesus Christ ascended into bodily form in the heavenly realms. That Jesus, this is an undertaught aspect of atonement and creation, or of, of redemption theology, and particularly in Protestant circles, that Jesus is still embodied to this day. And go read Hebrews. Like, you, you tell me how that works. I don't know. But he has an imperishable, heavenly, spiritual body. One day he will return, and those who sleep in the dust of the earth will rise, those who have trusted in Jesus to everlasting life, those who have rejected him to everlasting shame and contempt. But it will be physical. By the way, we believe in a God of healing of our physical bodies. That's why we have prayer every Sunday, among other things. We believe in a God that can and does do miraculous healings. Can I get an amen from anybody in the church? 
We have to remember, though, that we live in this already, not yet. And every time, there there may be times where God says, no, the, the healing is not for now. There are times when God does a healing. And every time we get one of those little miraculous signs, may we remember that that's a foretaste of the eternity that awaits us. In eternity, there will be no more COVID. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more basketball injured knees, Myung. There will be no more, none of it. All will be made well. And so I want to begin to wrap up by talking about some practical theology. In light of our creation, in light of our redemption, number one, your body is not your own. It doesn't belong to you. Very easy. And actually what's really interesting is it's kind of everywhere in American culture. Um, people on both the left and the right side of the political aisle have versions of, it's my body, my choice. We as Christians say, Christ's body, his choice. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Creation, just as a created being, you are contingent. You're dependent upon him. As a redeemed being, how much more so are you dependent upon the blood of Jesus Christ? Your physical body belongs to him. And how you use it matters. Number two, therefore, glorify God with your body. Glorify God with your body. Again, backing up a few verses in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is talking about a variety of different ways that we can use the body. And in 1 Corinthians, maybe, maybe we can get into that. I actually would like to teach through the entirety of 1 Corinthians, maybe later this year. Pray about that if that's what the Lord wants us to do. But he, you can see these quotation marks. He says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Those quotation marks don't exist in the original Greek. Many scholars believe that what Paul is doing here in 1 Corinthians is he's doing kind of a Q&A. He's answering questions. And he even says that in 1 Corinthians, you know, about what you wrote to me or about the question you asked. And so I I agree with this kind of editorial decision here where they're quoting things. I can, everything's permissible for me. And Paul goes, yeah, that's fine. Not everything is beneficial for you. Everything is permissible for me, but I'm not going to be mastered by anything. It's not the food, you know, not be, not be driven by your stomach. Food is for the stomach, the stomach for food. God will do away with both of them. And he says also, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So hear hear me on this. Part of what it means to glorify God with your body is to flee from sin. To flee from sin. Sexual immorality is a misuse of the body that God has given given to you. If you are being physically intimate with someone who you are not married to, that is sin to be fled from and repented of. If you are watching images on a computer screen or a phone of other people misusing their bodies, you are participating in that and you need to repent and you need to flee from that. But also things that are maybe less popular to talk about in church. Gluttony. Gluttony is a sin. It's a misuse of your body. Now hear me loud and clear on this. There is not one ideal body type. An American fashion culture is just absolutely vacuous and foolish 
No one is saying you need to look like a, you know, a, the Olympic athletes we're going to watch here in February. There are different body types. There's different ways that people metabolize food. But you know if you are eating beyond what you should. You know if you are drinking more than you should. There's nothing sinful about drinking. Jesus' first miracle was making water, not into grape juice, but to wine. I read an article this week about the alcoholic's dream of a pandemic where everyone is working from home and drinking from travel mugs on a Zoom screen. The numbers are staggering. It's, it's heartbreaking. Flee those things, but also use your body to glorify God. I, f- I find it just absolutely amazing how much language in the Bible related to worship is something physical, right? We even briefly touched on it a few weeks ago in Romans chapter 12, you know, um, uh, uh, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. When we gather for worship like this, so it's, you know, I want people to lift holy hands in prayer, clap your hands, all you peoples, or, or kneel. We don't really do a lot of kneeling in our tradition, but if any of you have experience with more liturgical traditions like um, Catholic tradition or Anglican tradition, there's a lot of kneeling on two-by-fours uh, to make sure you really love God, right? There's these things that we can do in our, in our physicality to honor and to worship God. I even say this, um, there's something precious about embodied worship that I took for granted before the advent of all of this worship at home, pandemic, work from home, Zoom screen, YouTube, Facebook Live stuff. Um, I'm really grateful for the technology that provides an approximation of connection in times of, of unhealth. People who are stuck in the hospital or, or shut-ins or things like that, that's amazing. But for, for some of you, Hear, hear, my, hear my heart in this. Hear, hear a heart of love in this. For some, the online worship thing just becomes real easy because it's like, well, it's just easier to not get dressed and drive or, or to, you know, put on clothes or whatever. There's something about us coming together, small groups, community groups, a handshake, a hug. We're, we're embodied. God made us that way for a reason. So hear me on that. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for what digital is, but it's, it's not fully human. Lastly, just a quick note to live as part of the body. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about how we're one body, many parts. That actually we need to think of our bodies not just as our own bodies, but like, but like individual cells made up in the body of Christ. My parents actually gave me a book for Christmas, but uh, as a surprise, they just gave it to me last week when they were here. Christmas isn't January 17th, mom, but whatever. Uh, and they gave me this book that they both read, and I'm about a third of the way through. It's called Fearfully and Wonderfully. It's by Philip Yancey and a guy named Dr. Paul Brand, who spent many decades in India caring for lepers. And he, he uses his experience of caring for lepers and, and just seeing the way that leprosy attacks the body. And he writes all these things about observations about the physical body, and he relates it to living as part of the body of Christ Awesome book. I actually, well, I'm only a third of the way through, but it's one third awesome so far, and I recommend it to you. But he says in there that there's something like 90, I believe there's 90 trillion cells in the human body. You can't even imagine that. How many individual cells are there in the body of Christ? 
all around the world, all centuries, all ages, all times, we are part of something that is so much bigger than just our physical bodies. So with that said, I want to close just with a couple of instructions for stewarding the body. Two pairs. The first pair is the pair of training and resting. As you think about your body, there are things you need to do. There are rhythms you need to put into place. The formation of habits. And yes, this might be things like eating healthier or exercising. It might be things like regularly reading your Bible or setting a specific time that is, I'm going to pray at this time, whatever it might be. Building formations to use your body in worship of God and service of others. And then at the same time, also building in rhythms of rest. You were not meant to work constantly. In fact, the Lord made our spirit dust selves to need to sleep for like close to a third of our lives. That's very frustrating as a person who cares about productivity. I could get so much more done if I could just drink more coffee and stay up all night long. But one of the things the Lord has really been drilling into me and and working on me, and I, I hope for many of you as well, the need to rest. So building good habits and then resting, sabbathing, going to bed, remembering God's finished work. And then the other pairing is fasting and feasting. Fasting and feasting. Um, let's, let's be honest. In the, <laughs> there's, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about like supply chain issues and it's like, uh, you know, hard to find some groceries in some parts of the nation or whatever. And I saw a meme went by where the whole entire meat section was completely empty. And then there was a whole big chunk of tofu products right there. And I was like, now nah, we're still not going to touch that stuff, even if all the other food's gone. But it's very easy to live in a constant state of feasting in the United States of America. We can feast literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And historically, that was not the case. You would save up, you know, the fattened calf, so to speak, for those special events. So fasting, specifically fasting, is abstaining from food for a period of time. But I would even broaden it out to that, what Paul talks about, that mastery of those desires. What is it my body wants? What is it my body craves? Say no sometimes, intentionally. Invite someone else in with you so that you can pray. But then also, when you feast, feast. Because one day, Christ will return in his physical body, and we will enjoy the wedding supper of the Lamb, where we will feast with him for all of eternity because the old has passed away and the new has come. And I long for that day. And as we prepare to come to even this simple, meager feast of the Lord's table, let's, in addition to repenting and and receiving his grace, let's look forward to that day as well. Let's pray together. God, we give you this time We thank you that you made us both as in our physical selves as well as our inner self. We are both. We're not either or. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to not worship or idolize the body, but also to not denigrate it, but we would care for it and steward it as a part of your good creation. And Lord, while we live in these broken jars of clay, while we live in these uh, uh, earthly tents, we groan and we wait, but we know, Lord Jesus, that one day, a day is coming, when we will feast and we'll enjoy you for all the days that there could possibly be. And so even now, as we come to eat and drink at the table, may we remember that day. And would you nourish our spirits, our souls, and our bodies as we eat and drink. In Jesus' name.
Amen.